Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC Flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's I'm Amazing Radio. I am your host, Dr. Law. With me, as always, DJ Mark. So, Also with me, Lavender Gooms. Hey, guys. Also joining us this week, and guys are missing out. This isn't a video cast. A shirtless kid presentable. Sexy summertime bods, everybody. Exactly. The gun shows. The gun show is out. The, the six-pack is out. It's all happening, people. You know, I did not exaggerate any of that. All right, granite chin, ladies, form an orderly cue. The, the the muscle is there. There just might be some corn dogs and Totino's pizza rolls on top of it. You know, that's all. That's Yo, all. Man, where, where, where are we getting corn dogs? I know where you got the Totinos. Where are we getting the corn dogs? Oh, uh, man. So uh, this past weekend, let me tell you, I told Mark, you know, we, we got uh, Last of Us 2 coming out. I took today off from work to give myself a three-day weekend. I needed to rest, but I loaded up on them snacks at Target is right next to the Totino rolls. They had that box. Everyone knows the corn dog box. Mm-hmm. Uh, it got sixteen corn dogs in there. Delicious. How many Delicious. are left? How many, honey how, corn how, how many are left? Oh, I mean, we do it like an adult now, Bob. We don't do this microwave bullshit. We do right out. We do it in the oven. Uh-huh. We got that Pyrex dish proper. You know, it takes an extra twenty minutes to make them. <laughs> but man, that even heat, that golden brown, it is. That that's how adults eat corn dogs. Exactly. Yes, that, that that shows your maturity. You know, like you know what. I know the virtue of waiting and patience. 20 minutes won't kill me for a nice crisp bite. That's so good. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, wait. Did the Totinos make it in the microwave, though? No, everything's in the oven. Bob, here's oh. the thing is, you know the, the Filipino sauce. You've heard of it. But the, the key move on these uh, corn dogs is the spicy Jufferin. That is that Filipino banana ketchup. Mm. You get the spicy one. Oh, on the corn dog, it is beautiful. I am definitely going to have a corn dog at the end of this podcast. Well, let me tell you, that, that's why I sent you that hot sauce because I'm like, I know it's not banana flavored. The uh, the Dirty Dicks, that's right, folks. Dirty Dicks hot sauce. What? They aren't a sponsor, but it's delicious. Stefan, Stefan knows now the magic of Dirty Dicks hot sauce. Oh, I, down, I, I down that bottle so fast, like uh, for two weeks there. Uh, breakfast, homemade breakfast burritos. That was a staple. Get some potatoes, right. eggs. Chop up some steak. Put that in a tortilla. Put some hot sauce on that. Yeah, this is now the second dick-themed hot sauce that Bobby has introduced me to. What was the other one? Back in back in law school, I had never heard of sriracha before, and the way he introduced it to me is, "Yo, pass me the cock sauce." That's the first one. Okay. And now it's dirty dick sauce. Yeah. There's a lot of dicks in hot sauce, man. I'm just realizing now we have a we might be able to get a sponsorship out of Dirty Dick's hot sauce. All right, the man's running the shop himself. We can reach out to Richard. That's his. That's Dick's name, obviously. Oh, see if he sense. wants to see if he wants to sponsor the podcast because I wholeheartedly endorse this hot sauce, and so does Stefan. And I'm trying to get Mike and Mark on board. Anyway, um, boys and girls, we're going to talk about a fairly inconsequential UFC card that happened this past Saturday at the UFC Apex. In uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, we're going to talk about Curtis Blades out there putting a stamp on him being some sort of contender to the heavyweight title. A couple other, uh, couple other decent fights happen, including a nice controversial corner situation, which is just becoming far too common in this sport. 
Uh, we'll talk a little bit about this uh, UFC card next weekend, um, which I assume is also in Nevada. Um, Correct. Yeah, uh, with a banger of a main event between Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker. Uh, Dan Hooker being kind of a dick. Um, I'll get to that shortly in that corner situation. Um, cementing the fact that I really want Dustin Poirier to win. Um, but yeah, a little stuff we like, a little some stuff I didn't like. Uh, those of you who follow pro wrestling probably know where I'm going to go with that part of it. Really depressing fucking, uh, week there. But, uh, let's get into it. Uh, Curtis Razor Blades, Alexander Volkov, Marcus, Curtis Blades said, Hey man, if you guys are expecting some sort of war, some stand and bang shit, ain't going to happen. I'm going to ragdoll this motherfucker. He didn't lie to us, Mark. He tried. At least. <laughs> yeah, it, it was very much a Curtis Blades-like performance. Um, unfortunately, not really having the stamina to, to go all five rounds super strong, and he definitely wilted, especially in that fifth round where um, Alexander definitely... That was kind of his, his time to potentially steal the show, but I, I think he had also just... His gas tank was pretty dried as well. Um, you know, he put a valiant effort in that last round to, to try to get something going, but it was too little too late. Because um, the vast majority... I mean, the first three rounds was Curtis... You know, in some exchanges, standing with them and actually faring fairly well, um, but ultimately getting double legs, you know, pretty much agnosium for those first three rounds. I think at the end of the night, he set a new record. At least they said in the booth, he set a new record for takedowns, which is impressive. I think he broke the record somewhere in the third round. It was <laughs> early because I actually I do remember it was like at one point they're like he's two away from tying Kane Velasquez's eleven uh, takedown record. Then I looked at the clock and it was two minutes to go with the third round, and I'm like, oh, he's getting it. This is a five round fight. He's getting it. Yeah, so I mean, in that regard, we already kind of knew he was a good wrestler, um, but he looked good in those rounds. You know, he got him down. Um, I, I think where you can really start to look at, you know, where he needs to sharpen his skills is that, you know, he was not doing much passing. It was a lot of sitting in the guard and, you know, throwing some decent elbows here and there. But I think he could have done a lot more if there was more emphasis on passing the guard, getting to side, getting to mount, pressuring with submissions, with ground and pound. It, it really seemed like the game plan was to, um, get Alex on the mat and hold him there and, and do some damage, but mostly to hold him there and win rounds. Um, and, and it got him the victory. Um, it just wasn't the most impressive performance. And, you know, like I mentioned, Alexander did have some spurts in the fourth and fifth round where it looked like he might be able to put something together. But Curtis continued to to lean on that wrestling, and it was able to get him the win here. So it, ultimately, another great win. I think you can look at his record. He has two losses against Nuganu, and it definitely seems yeah. like he's getting in that thing where he has this gatekeeper that he's not going to be able to get past. But we've seen in this division, you know, because it's kind of light, if he waits for Francis to get a shot and he loses, he might be able to kind of slip in there and, and get a shot without having to meet his rival for a third time. But otherwise, you know, what we saw on Saturday wasn't like insanely impressive. You know, it was yeah, good. He, wrestling, he got but... some, uh, he got some, uh, he got some shit from Dana White afterwards, I of think... course. I think it would have been a fine, it would have been an okay and fine victory if he hadn't talked shit beforehand and said how he was going to ragdoll, how he, he was going to rag, ragdoll Volkov. And yeah, like if he just hadn't talked shit beforehand, I think Dana White would have been more fine with this victory. Yeah, I mean, look, he is the number one contender if you don't include Francis Ngannou. And if you don't include the fact that there's no such thing as rankings really in this sport, and if John Jones wants a title shot tomorrow and they pay him, he'll do it anyway. Um, Steph, what do you think? Curtis Blades got a little tired, but nice win. I mean, I, I didn't realize people were coming down so hard on him. Uh, I haven't really followed kind of the surrounding stuff in it. You know, I, I, you know, I forgot there were fights this weekend <laughs> until Mike started texting about there were fights. 
to be fair stuff i don't really think the public is going at curtis blades too much i think it's just more dana white is painting it so that you know that this is the narrative that's going around dana's gonna do what dana does um because i found him endearing uh you know i'm not averse to a blankety wrestler it kind of depends how they go about it but like i found it endearing in his post-fight speech where like we've all been there right when you're so tired and it is a struggle to even get your words out because you're breathing so hard and like that's all he needs to say he's like man his legs were so big like he was so strong like he was really hard to take down like you know, he, he's a guy, he, he didn't just take him down. He, he He's tired because he was trying. You know, maybe it wasn't as successful, as eventful as it was, but the man was working. Um, he worked his ass off, so I find that stuff endearing. Yeah, I don't mind him. It's just... Yeah, I, I agree with you, Steph, because the first three rounds, I was actually... He, like, kind of won me over. I was like... And, and because I think we both don't mind a little wrestler who will do a little lay and pray, because his takedowns were great. And in the, those first three rounds, I was like, you know what? Maybe I haven't been giving this guy the, the props he deserves. You look at his record, there's only two losses against, you know, probably, like, one of the best heavyweights. Um, It really was, for me, where the shine wore off in the fourth and fifth, where it was like, he looked so good in those first three rounds. But when the stamina started going, he started making a little bit more mistakes. And it's not like... Really, I think at the end of the day, for him to be kind of like a world beater, I would really like to see him work more on top. Um, but I was with you, Steph. In those first three rounds, I was like, man, this guy's getting taked. I mean, we talk and, and we'll talk about other fights where there's a lot of wrestlers who just struggle to get takedowns and to get the fight where they need to get it. And Curtis Blades is just one of those guys that he gets it done. you know. And I think it is because he really puts all his effort into those takedowns. There's no half-hearted measures when he shoots. There's not a game plan of, oh, if he shucks this, I'm going to go to the clinch. It's like, no, I'm, I'm getting this takedown. Like, I'm, I'm going to shoot a double. I'm going to trip the leg. I'm going to succeed there. Um, and, he, and that's why he had such a high success rate. I think the stamina just wasn't there. It, but it'll be interesting to see where he goes because I think his path to the title is just marred by one man. And, you know, I think he might need to get one more fight, unfortunately, because I think it's going to be a while for France, Francis to get his fight oh, yeah. and get his title shot. But he's right there. And if he just plays his card right, I think he can get himself a title shot um but you know well if francis keeps asking to be compensated appropriately i'm sure they'll find That's a way true. To he might him. he might write himself out of yeah. the picture and exactly gladly pick that up. considering that you know the dc and stipe fight still needs to happen and then it would be francis after that the way that you know he was talking it's as if he's just willing to just wait until the title shot falls into well, he, he had he had and to that clarify be, that that might had, be like a year, year and a half. Yeah, he, he had to clarify that. that. I think that he, he had to clarify that, Mike, because he was people were like, hey, man, you got to fight somebody? He's like, no, he's just trying to say, like, I need to fight contenders, he says, but there aren't, he, I've beaten all them. So if another contender emerges, I guess it would make sense for him. But man, went out there. Look, it's hard to judge any of these people too hard right now, man. They're fighting in the middle of this mess in front of sure, nobody. And it's like, you got to, like, give everybody a little bit of rope, you know? Um, co main event. Josh Emmett, Shane Burgos, people love this fight. Um, Steph, Josh Emmett broke all his shit about a minute into this fight, I guess, and still won. What'd you think of his performance? Yeah, it's definitely a great performance for him. He's he's one of those guys, um, and he was pretty salty about it after the fight as well. <laughs> like, he, he's really mad at the media, and he doesn't want to do interviews or talk because no one believes in him. Um, he's not wrong, right? We kind of look at him, and we don't expect the world out of him. Uh, I think he said he was really mad that people said he was just power and nothing else. Uh, he showed, like he said, he showed great timing. He showed great accuracy, great resilience, right? Because, like you said and alluded to, apparently he tore his knee like pretty immediately. Because you see him kind of do a stutter step, and it looks like he slips a little, but 
that was enough to apparently do it because yeah, he, he his leg was kind of compromised the whole fight, and you thought the leg kicks were working. Um, and it's not that Burgos necessarily abandoned him at any point, but I mean, the guy never went down from it, right? We've seen compromised fighters' knees and fighters just collapse, right? They just can't do it. Um, was it uh, Aspen Lad that not that long? Was that the one? Was it her? No, or was it the other one? Macy Barber. Macy Barber. Sorry, where she lost to Roxy. You know. You know, giant upsets can happen when someone tears their knee. It's it's pretty debilitating. But, um, yeah, you know, it was an action-packed fight. Um, I'm not quite as high on it as some of the other fighters and media seem to be. We, we talked about this a little before we started the show. But for a multitude of reasons, um, it was sloppy in a lot of regards. Uh, I, at first, you know, the first couple of rounds, I was, like, about to text our group, like, oh, is this Shane Burgos guy someone I need to pay attention to? He's got some interesting dynamic striking. He mixes it up well. And then he just repeatedly got hit. He had showed no head movement whatsoever. And I'm like, okay, there might be a ceiling to this guy if this is how he fights. Like, this guy eats shots. Like, it's one of those things. It's like, I don't know, was Josh Emmett good or was Burgos's striking defense that bad? Well, well I mean, that's kind of a weird thing that was, I, I had mixed feelings on the fight because well, stuff like that. You mentioned, I mean, Mark, I mean, you said Emmett, you know, getting enough respect. I mean, Emmett has been top 10 and higher since 2017. And uh, he just has long breaks between fights. I mean, Marcus mentioned it before we started that he gets hurt a lot. And I mean, he doesn't have a discernible look either. I'm sorry. He looks like the default creative fighter in every video game I think ever. He looks like, I think he looks like Gray Maynard, personally. <laughs> I go, what? Yeah, but Gray Maynard had, like, the definitive dice tattoo. Like, you got to give yourself something to stand out when you're that generic of a man. Exactly. Yeah, and, uh, and, and honestly, I, I agree with that sentiment, and I agree with Josh that I think he's critically underlooked, uh, and I think this fight is a good marker of that because i think he fits a stereotype that we've seen in mma for a long time a boxer type that has heavy hands right and it's easy to to write him off and put him in the same group as so many others but he does things very different than the other fighters do and the reason why he has this power in his hands is because he lands these shots and he lands those shots because he's insanely fast and i think you can look at this fight where his knee was destroyed early on in the fight and everyone saw it. I I think everyone picked up on that little stutter where he kind of grabbed his knee early in the first, but it did not affect his fight. Like he, he wasn't limping. He didn't, you know, there was no point in that fight where it seemed like he was super compromised. It almost seemed like he wasn't hurt that much, but what he does so well is he gets in the pocket and he throws those hands extremely fast. And that takes a lot of confidence. It takes a lot of skill and I think one thing that we also kind of box these the, these boxer wrestler types in is like, oh, they have a good right hand. All his knockdowns with his left hook. He has a great right hand and a fucking fantastic left hook. So he ha- he comes in with a lot of different angles when he gets in the pocket and throws different strikes, and he throws multiple strikes. And those are things that when we stereotype the 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 boxer wrestler type, when you think of your Dan Henderson. That has like, oh, he has a good right hand. It's a one-punch thing. What we saw with Josh Emmett was versatility in his boxing and power in both hands and and mental fortitude that is almost unseen of when you know when you look back at all like because it wasn't just like a complete ACL tear, which is awful. There's like five other things he like. He broke his out. leg. He tore his MCL. There's like a bunch of shit going on. Yeah, I mean, but you know, and at the same time, I agree with Stefan. Like he does not stand out in the crowd he's a bald short well, white guy know, with tattoos and he just doesn't stand out 
But his skill level should, you know, if you can, I think the problem is people will see his fights and see these fantastic knockouts and they might not remember the name. I think we're fortunate enough to have seen him enough that we all remember remember his name and know that this dude's high class. He puts guys um, away, man. Yeah. That's it. He well, like puts I said to you, Bobby, there, there's inconsistencies with how often he fights. He gets, he's prone to injury because I think his last fight, he got injured in the fight with his knee like really early on. And, and I think that fight, it, it looked like it compromised him a little bit more. So I think there's a lot of yep. stuff going against him. But for those in the know that, that that are watching his last couple of fights, you know that there's something special. It, there's more to him than just like, oh, this guy can hit hard. He knows how to like stop a double. Like there's more going on yeah. there than just that. Mike, um, your thoughts on this guy? I mean, he's 16 and two now. He's won five of six. Um, been top 10 the whole time. Top seven, top eight probably. You got to get this man a top five guy next, right? Mm -hmm. I guess the question is, who would be the top top five guy, though? I mean, any of them? I don't know how many of them he's actually fought. Because he's... You can give him... I don't even know what's even going on at 145. Zombie probably think, should, get a, should get a title I shot. I think the more prominent guy he fought... Didn't he once fight Cub Swanson? Am I misremembering no, he, he, he beat Ricardo Lamas. That's what people realized who he was. People realize who he was because he starched Ricardo Lamas, and then he lost his next fight to Jeremy Stevens. So I think some of the shine wore off. He's number eight right now. I think you give him Yair at number five. It makes sense. That'd be cool. Or Zabit. Zabit would be a sick fight. fight. Him and Zabit would be awesome. I would love to watch him fight Zabit. Either of those I guys. Like, I actually like the prospect of him fighting Yair. I can get down with that. That be that seems like a good time too. Let's get this guy in there, man. He's thirty five years old. He's, you know, I mean that's not the end of his career, but he's like at the time where you got to make some stuff happen and. If he can stay healthy, which apparently is not the case for another year. Yeah, yeah. It's like at least a year. Right, like a, he's going to come back and they're like, you want to get this guy a top five fight? Like, you know, that's going to be like the debate. The dude's, the dude's coming off, uh, you know, major reconstructive knee surgery. Like, yeah, let's do that. That would be a great yeah. idea. So he's probably still two fights away at that point. We're not even going to know if this, what's going on in the UFC by that time. Um, so, yeah, I, these are the only two fights I saw because I spent all of Saturday at a car dealership. Um, we're going to talk about... Um, the situation with uh, Robert Drysdale and Max Roche, uh, Roskopf, in the opening fight. But before that, Marcus, uh, I mean, before besides giving old man Jim Miller some credit for getting a win, what else do you think uh, deserves our attention? Yeah, um, you know, on this main card, you definitely have to look at Jim Miller because um, the guy he was fighting seemed like a, a, an up-and-coming prospect. And he, he seemed like he was doing well. You know, he got him to the ground. He was, he was dominating the fight. But... Jim was able to get an armbar on, and it looked like uh, Roberts was going to be able to defend, but when he tried to pull out, that's when Miller was able to extend and finish the armbar, so a fantastic win for him. Um, Pennington got a win, but it was a struggle against um, uh, Marin Renee. That was that was a rough one for her. It was a kind of a sloppy fight. Um, Muhammad got a decent win against Lyman Good. Um, Lyman Good really didn't come to fight until the last round, and then he made it interesting, but it was too little too late. Um, and then on the prelim card, obviously, we're all excited Bobby Green got a win. Um, I think some of us saw that fight, too. Uh, but personally, uh, I think he's lucky he got the win here because this this was a classic Bobby Green fight. Like, it's super fucking close, and usually he doesn't get the nod. Um, I'm glad he did because he wasn't getting the nod so often he fucking retired. He's like, well, fuck this shit. I'm, not, I'm never getting decisions. So he got one here. Tisha Torres picked up a good win. Um, and then I think the only other standout for me was Gillian Robertson uh, submitted Courtney Casey. She completely dominated that fight. She got Courtney down repeatedly throughout the fight in advanced position. Um, and then I would say Roxy and Lauren Murphy. I think Lauren Murphy just like 
every different aspect of the game besides maybe grappling with Roxy on top. She was just better. Her striking was sharper. Her wrestling was stronger. Man, Roxy I didn't see the fight, made- but Lauren Murphy is fucking just fucking tough as nails, man. She's a grinder of all grinders in that thing, man. I, I know I know that uh, um, Roxy's never been the, the greatest striker, uh, but she had gotten a lot better in her last, you know, five fights or so. But, man, she seemed... Her striking seemed really rudimentary again in this last fight. Like, all it was was just one-twos, like, for all three rounds. Yeah, she 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 has improved dramat- dramatically in her stand-up, but I think especially with Lauren, you need to see the punches. Like, when Roxy would throw a right straight, it was all right, but Lauren Murphy, like, those punches were crisp. They, they had snap on them, and then the wrestling, she couldn't get it done. So it was going to be tough for Roxy in this fight. She was outskilled almost in every avenue, so... In those type of fights, it's not insurmountable to get a win, but you just have to... So many things have to turn right for you. you there has to be so many mistakes you can capitalize on. And Lauren just didn't make those mistakes, and she got the win. And then ultimately, Bob, we're going to talk about Austin Hubbard and Max Roshkoff. Oh, good God. Um, and, you know, I, I did see that fight as well. And, you know, we can get into the, the corner controversy now, if if Yeah, okay, sense. so this is... Um, I'm a, I mean, basically... End of the second round, Max Roshkoff, who probably won the first round, or some people thought he won the first round. End of the second round, dude had nothing left. And you know he had nothing left because he told his corner, I'm done, call it, I'm done, call it. Said it about nine or ten times. Um, Robert Drysdale, who, um, hell of a grappler, is an MMA fighter too, but he's just a goddamn legend jujitsu-wise, was his corner man, and he pretty much just kept trying to talk him out of not quitting. Over and over again. I think the guy said, I'm done like 10 times, seriously. Um, Robert Drysdale's trying to defend himself, saying, Hey, man, like, it wasn't like he was taking a lot of damage. He just seemed tired. I knew he'd regret it if he quits. I think, I understand where he's coming from. And this is my opinion. I'm going to get your guys' opinion too. I don't think it matters what you think you know your fighter as this or that, because I think if a, if we stop accepting the words that come out of a fighter's mouth, if we don't accept those as like, we don't go by those, it starts getting in the murky territory of like, hey man, are you, like when the referee asks, can you see this? Can you see that? Are you okay to continue? The fighter says he's done, regardless of what um, you know better as a coach or not, that's it. He pulled the ripcord. And I know you want to give the guy every opportunity and maybe like he's, you think he's going to regret it later. I'm sorry. Like he says he's done. And that's the end of the fight. In my opinion, Steph, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm with you on that. Like we've, we watched a lot of fights over the years. Mm-hmm. And when a guy is done, he's done. Mm-hmm. You know, like when a guy, how, how many times have we seen a guy like, yeah, they don't want to be there. Um, you know, a guy who kind of resurfaced on the last event we didn't know was still fighting. Like, we've seen Evan Dunham show up a couple times in there, and like this guy's just cashing in a paycheck, just one more extra check. It, it, it's it's not basketball. It's it's not baseball. You you get punched in when you go out there for another round. Like you get beat up more. You take life altering damage. Um, maybe it doesn't shorten your fighting career, but it does affect your quality of life. So like when guys are done, they're done. Um, and it wasn't just one time. I think that's one of the interesting points that you pointed out, Bob. It was repeatedly, excessively, and over and over again that Robert Trizel had to rebuke him several times as well. It wasn't like 
And then like one point I saw, I don't, it was, I think it was just a random user. Like what you want to see the corner do there. You want to see them ask, why do they want to quit? Right. Cause is it something they can overcome? It, it seemed like Robert Dyson doesn't care why he wanted to quit. If, if the guy said like, okay, like I can't feel this anymore. Like, like what Robert Dyson said, like, who cares? You know? Yeah, I, mean, I, mean, seemed, I, don't, I, I mean, I don't think he's necessarily like a bad person. It's just, he seemed like I know better. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know he's a batter. I don't know him. Um, but his response and his attitude to it is something – it's a national issue in my opinion. People don't like to concede that they're wrong anymore. Whenever people do something poorly, they just double down on it. And that's what Robert Drysdale did. And it's happening in so many walks of life. And I, I won't spin into that tangent right now. But um, that's just that's fucking fair. disappointing. Yeah, Mike, what do you think? You know, I, I think there needs to be a distinction made here, and I think Drysdale and people of his ilk that are defending it, um, I think what when they're talking about, well, sometimes it's the trainer's job to, to amp up their, their person, to make them believe, I think that's more in these situations where maybe the fighter comes back and he's like, man, I've got, I've got nothing out there. Like, I, I, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm having issues seeing what I got to do out there. You know, maybe they're losing hope. And then it's the trainer's job in that minute to show them, no, this is what you need to do. This is what you got to do. Be a warrior. You got this. Cause in that situation, and we've seen this many times in the corner, the fighter hasn't given up yet, but they are despairing. They're losing hope and they haven't vocalized and actually said, yo, I'm done. We don't see that very often in MMA because most of those people in there want to die on their shield. They normally leave it to their corner to get to pull them out of the fire. You don't normally see in the corner in MMA a fighter actually say, yo, I'm good. I'm done. I'm not fighting anymore. So that's why this is so odd in that yeah. the fighter Mike, do me a favor and Mike, turn your mic, kick your, uh, take your microphone up a little bit, kick, move it up a little bit, tilt okay. it up. Tilt it up? Yeah. It's a nice... Uh, Perfect. In podcast... Uh, Hey man, right. uh, it works. It's fine. Um, <laughs> no, I agree no, but, with. Uh... But yeah, like you don't often see that the fighter actually vocalizes, "I want to quit." So that's why that's so odd. In this situation, this happens, and the cornerman just absolutely ignored it. Yeah, I mean, Mark, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the points you guys raise are, are valid. I, I think one that that kind of skews my opinion here is I. They when I watched the broadcast, they it wasn't in the corner during during in between rounds, so I didn't hear how often Max said that he wanted to give up and Rod, uh, and Drysdale kept encouraging him to continue. I just really saw the end where the referee came and said like, "Do you want to fight anymore?" And he's like, "Nope," and it ended. Um, but I mean, I think it it's a complicated issue as it always is with the corner because you know we don't know Drysdale's and Max's relationship. We don't know how often. Maybe Drysdale has to push Max in the gym. Sometimes he gets tired and he needs that motivation and that push to to push himself farther. At the end of the day, though, like Stefan said, like Mike said, when the fighter says, I mean, it's one thing when you come back to the corner, it's like, oh, my, my hand's broken or my, my toe, my, my foot feels broken or something. It's a different thing when you say, like, I'm done. Like when you and you can try to motivate your fighter, but when they have the mentality in their head that they're done it's nigh impossible to convince that person like, oh, no, 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 you can still do this. It's like when they've mentally broken to that point, it's just like they're done. They're done fighting. And, 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 at the and he said the, day, the magic words, right, Marcus? He said the magic words. That's it. We gotta, we get, we're done here. Like, yeah, and, and I, think it, it's, I think it's okay for the corner to 
try to encourage them past that potentially. But if you try to encourage him and just like, no, you can do it. And he keeps just saying he's done. It's like, all right, it's done, you know. Um, and at the end of the day, this didn't become like an egregious thing because Max didn't go into the third round where he didn't want to because it's his say. It's his body. It's his life. It's his fight. If he wants to, to, to end the fight, he has that opportunity at any moment from when it starts to the last bell that he can say, I'm done. I quit. And that's what he did in between the, the second and third round. And I think when you also bring in the subcontext that like this dude took the fight on 10 days notice with everything that's going on. So he might not have been training at all before that, you know, because maybe he wasn't allowed to go to the gym and train with other guys that actually had fights coming up. Um, and, you know, but I, you look at both sides. I get what Robert's trying to do. You, you, this was his first fight in the UFC. It's a big opportunity and stuff. And you hate to see a fighter, you know, just go out um, out of exhaustion, you know, especially because he seemed in, in shape. And I think what also Robert said, you know, he took a lot. He took a decent amount of punishment in the second. But when we talked about in the last couple of weeks about fighters that kept fighting when they didn't need to, those fighters took a substantial amount of more damage um, and kept fighting. Right. But exhaustion is a different thing. And I mean, we took the fight on what, five days notice? Also, like I think, it, I think they said ten, but that's still you know well, yeah, not I mean, enough come on time now. to especially especially when you look at that fight. He did good in the in the first round, and the second round he really went after after it hard. He went for a submission instantly in the second round, and I think that was him. That was like his last ditch effort, right? And that was early in the second, so he basically was on fumes for the rest of the round. And you saw it. Austin was landing good shots. Max was eating them and surviving, but. He knew he, he he knew his body. He knew that he was not going to be able to defend himself. There was no way he was going to get this win. So he called it. And I think that's totally fine. And, you know, as someone who's watched MMA for, you know, since it's pioneer days, like a lot of dudes used to quit out of exhaustion. You look at some of these old fighters. Ken Shamrock quit against uh, uh, Fujita because he was just tired. He was beating the shit out of Fujita. And he's in the corner. He's like. Throw the towel. I'm done. I'm fucking exhausted. He know? thought he was having a heart attack. He kicked Fujita's ass so hard. I mean, and, and that happens so often. I mean, we, we don't see it at this high level nearly as much as we used to. And we kind of just, I think a lot of the fans can just kind of write off just how physically I mean, draining this is. Can, can people cut the fucking machismo bullshit too? Like where I'm like, like, I'm like, oh, this guy's a pussy. This guy, the fuck, Dana White, who's the king of this bullshit. It's like, hey man, the guy was done. He said he's done. He's done. That's that's it. I mean, yeah, you. I mean, anyone can play arm back quarterback, but it, if anyone just goes and does a just, not even like a full on MMA fight, does jujitsu for three minutes or wrestling for three minutes, you'll be puking. I puked a lot of times when I wrestled. I would because it is so physically draining on your body that I could not keep anything in my system. It is the amount of energy and exertion it takes to grapple to fight. Uh, and I mean, compound that with when you're tired and you start getting. Sh- struck in the head really hard that just depletes your stamina even more Man. so it, it's easy on the outside to be like oh why didn't he continue you see you've seen thousands of fights where guys don't get tired and you've seen guys seemingly more tired than him uh but you just you really don't know what it's like in, in, unless you've experienced it and if you if it, you ever experienced training in, in wrestling jujitsu mixed martial arts kickboxing you know what that exhaustion does to you and how you just you physically can't your body does not react to the synapses in your brain anymore. The muscles give out, and then you just take a beating for no reason. So exactly. it was the right call. I mean, look, pride is a shitty substitute for intelligence, okay? He did the right thing for himself. And let me give you some – let me segue into the card this weekend. Dan Hooker saying some bullshit about how 
how did this guy get into the UFC when he's, you know, he's made of marshmallows with a bunch of stupid ass emojis. Dan, shut the fuck up. Just shut the fuck up, man. Like what? Like, how is that helping anybody? Like, do you think I, the guy feels good about himself right now? I hope he gets another shot. Honestly, I hope they give him another shot. He took a fight on 10 days notice. Give him another crack in the UFC. Oh, so Dan said that about Max. I thought you said that about yeah. Dustin Poirier, and I was like, what? That's a weird... <laughs> nah. All right, let's talk about it's this weird card. Shit talk. Uh, Dustin Poirier, Dan Hooker, uh, a five-round banger. Dan Hooker being a dick aside, this is a sick fight. Um, five-round main event. Uh, Stefan, do you got the betting odds in front of you? <laughs> you muted. You muted. Still muted. Not only was I muted, is I had to figure out what tab it was in. Uh, okay. Yeah, I do. Uh, so Dustin Poirier, uh, back to the main event, is coming in at minus two twenty to Dan Hooker's plus one eighty. All right. Um, I think Dustin Poirier has he fought since he lost to Khabib? Is this the first one back? This is the first one back in since last September when he lost his title fight. Yes. Uh, since being interim champion, um, Dan Hooker. I, uh, he beat Paul Felder. That was real close. Um, I'm not saying it was hometown cooking when he beat him in New Zealand by decision, but that was real close. Real, real close. Um, three in a row, three in a row though for Dan Hooker. Poria coming off a loss. I got the king of Lafayette, Louisiana, Dustin Poria getting it done here though, man. Dustin Poria has been on a different level. Uh, really upped his game. Not beating Khabib. No shame in that. Nobody's beating Khabib. Um, you know, that's not going to happen until Justin Gaethje gets his hands on him. Pew, pew, shots fired. No, that's not happening either. Um, Dustin Poirier getting the win here. Mike, what do you think? I would have to agree with you. Um, outside of losing to Habib, Dustin Poirier has been a different fighter the last three years. Um, if it was just a stand-up contest and it was just contested on the feet, maybe I would go with Hooker. But it is, as they say in the biz, an MMA fight. So I'm going to go with the more complete fighter. Shit, I'm taking a stand. I'm taking Dustin Poirier in the stand-up fight too. Mark, what do you got? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's hard to deny Dustin, especially you know with his recent accomplishments. E- even the the fight with Habib, it, it, it was a tough loss for him. But you know, before that, I think when you look at the wins over Alvarez and Gaethje, you know, those are top tier guys. Those are guys that one held the title, one is is number one contender right now, and who whose stars shining brighter than ever. Um, what I will say, I am obviously going with Dustin, but uh, I like those odds for Dan Hooker. I think that's not a horrible bet to put some money on. Yeah, live dog there, right there, man. Yeah, because I mean, Dan has been really impressive too. I think this is going to be a really competitive fight, but what we've seen, I think there's some some things kind of leaning in Dustin's uh, advantage. I mean, Dustin, Dustin beat Max Holloway's ass like he owed him money. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think you look at he's had multiple five round fights where he's looked good in all five rounds. Uh, you know, the Habib fight was standing. You know, that's a completely different monster. But yeah, I'm going with Dustin. But I think Dan is a live underdog here. Um, and at minus 180, I'm like, oh, come on, what's not? That might be a plus little. 180. What's that? Plus, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah not minus because he's the favorite. But yeah, uh, plus 180 is kind of. I was a little surprised that it was it was it was that steep, but uh, Dustin's going to be a tough out for him. It's going to be a great fight, though. Uh, Steph, clean sweep. Uh, it's a sweep, but I'm with Mark and believing it's kind of close. Um, it's going to be a stand up fight. That's all it's going to be. There's not no one's going to take this down to the ground. Um, and and Hooker has very credible stand up. Uh, the only fight where he actually got like throttled stand up was a younger Spryer Edson Barbosa, and uh, 
yeah, Dan Hooker got worked over in the body. I don't, you know, maybe that's something for Poirier to go. I love Poirier. I've been a fan of him for a long time, but uh, unequivocally and absolutely, he's peaked as a fighter. Um, it was a perfect storm for him to become an interim champion. Um, he's a guy that we've always liked, but we never thought would achieve that level. Maybe he'll fight for the belt a couple times, but he's not going to be the guy who wins. it. But some perfect storm of events and, you know, shenanigans occurred and he got his opportunity. Um, it earned him the right to be absolutely throttled by Khabib. Uh, it was not remotely competitive. Like it was, it was depressingly bad. If you're a fan of Dustin Poirier, how bad that fight went. So, um, you know, that's always just an interesting point when a fighter reaches that in their career. I'm sure he doesn't believe he peaked, but from my history of watching fights, that's a bet I would put that that was the pinnacle of his career. So um, can he find the motivation and to still really hang around there and maybe get another crack at it? Maybe. But Dan Hooker, he's credible. If you knock someone out with a spinning back elbow, you know how to fight. So, um, you know, Poirier has been cracked before. So it, it should be fun at the very least. It, this might be the best like most fun fight on the card. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. That's so, a bold claim. Uh, well, just, just to make sure, because I turned back and got mesmerized by the Iconics and the Sasha Banks. Uh, who are you picking? Uh, clean sweep. But okay, I just gotcha. agree, agree with Mark. We're agreeing with that, Mark. Hooker deserves some props. He's he's a very, very live dog here. Um, By the way, I've said it before. If you haven't seen the documentary Fightville, I don't know if it's on Netflix anymore. Um, if it's not, you know, the internet do your thing um dustin poirier uh really early in his career it's about his uh when he was in uh part of tim crater's team down there in uh louisiana really good uh mma doc because there's some bad ones out there too um all right co-main event i mean stefan out here saying it's gonna be the most fun fight we got platinum mike perry in the in the house mike in the house stefan do, do some nonsense he could yeah. win or lose to anybody um mike perry mickey gall um minus 280 mike perry so i did your job for you stefan you're good but, uh, I, I, I lose the tab often uh, minus 280 mike perry plus 240 mickey gall mickey gall famously beat cm punk cm punk currently without a job because fox just canceled wwe backstage so i don't know maybe cm punk can get those hands again next time minus 280 for mike perry though Ooh, that seems like a lot steph like that seems like a lot for mike uh, perry yeah he's uh Mickey Gall is okay. He, you know, he he came in as a young dude, but he, he he's got grappling acumen. Um, his striking has never totally come around. Like you said, Mike Perry's a fucking wild card. Um, and this is famously going to be his first fight with his whole "I don't need a coach, I don't need a camp, all I need is my girlfriend." Um, and I don't believe bad behavior should be rewarded. So I'm going to go with the giant underdog of Mickey Gall here. I was going to do that because. What the fuck? <laughs> I'm not a Mick, Mike Perry fan. Like some people out here like reality TV. Some people like watching train wrecks of humanity. I find a train wrecks of humanity very depressing. And Mike Perry is very much a Florida man train wreck. So just, this just bad behavior sure, does not though. deserve to be rewarded. I'll say this: outside of him being an idiot, I mean, he hasn't done anything crazy, right? Like he hasn't done anything controversial. He says some racist shit. Oh. His, okay, co his corner, his old corner that he got rid of also said some racist shit. So yeah. maybe that's a net gain. We'll see. His whole, I only need my girlfriend. That is, at this Look, level of oh, the sport, wait a second. that's one, a weird thing. One more question. The racist shit that he said, was it the racist shit that he thinks he's black, so he thinks he's allowed to say the N-word? That racist no, that, shit? That That's some of the racist shit. There's other racist shit before that against... Uh... Hyung Goi Lim. Yeah, they he... were doing. They they were making Asian eye jokes during the fight. 
Yeah. <laughs> he, he also made some homophobic jokes, too. Look, I'm I, when I say I'm entertained by Mike Perry, I'm speaking specifically in the cage. The fights aren't boring ever. Some wild shit happens. But yeah, I got I got Mickey Gall, too, because I think Mickey Gall is actually pretty good. Like, I think he can get some. Mike Perry's lost a lot of fights. Like, Mike Perry has lost five of seven fights. I'm not picking him. A minus 280 against anybody is insane to me. So, yeah, I got, I'll take the underdog, too. Um, how, who's winning this, by the way, Mike? Well, where are we in the standings? Ah, I'm very happy that you mentioned that because we actually all made a lot of progress uh, from our last time that we picked. We all went, if I'm right, a resounding four and one. So round of applause for all of us. I think that's our best week. Didn't we even not like pick the last couple of events? I think I think it's back <laughs> in the pay per view. <laughs> yeah, How far the, back was this now? The last event that we picked was the Amanda Nunes uh, pay per view, and uh, we all just lost one fight. So congratulations to us. Our best uh, best week of uh, 2020 so far. Well, cheers so, to the UFC not making compelling matchups because it's they make it easy on us. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that one was uh, a lot of chalk on that one. Uh, so standings stay the same. Mark is still in first with a 26 and 15 record. Bobby, you're in second. Oh, actually, you guys are tied for first now, uh, 26 and 15, the two of you. And me and Steph are tied for second with a 22 and 19 records. Yes, me and Steph went four to one, and we're 22 and 19. Good job, guys. Way to get over 500. Um, okay, Mike, what do you got? Oh, um. Yeah, Mike Perry is an idiot, and uh, Mike Perry can make a mess of any fight he is in, as Bobby alluded to either in last week's podcast or when I was speaking to him at some point. Mike Perry entered the UFC, I think, like 7-0, and and he's mm-hmm. gone 7-6 and six in yep. the UFC. So um, he is uh, right above the Mendoza line. Um when it comes to, to MMA fighting, but I'm still going to pick Mike Perry in this one. Um, and mainly it's because of the greatest and newest website that's uh, come out in the last week. Uh, Mike Perry is a bum.com. Oh if, shit. We didn't even talk about Mike Perry is a bum.com if again. You guys have not been on there in the last we week. New we shit has it. been added. Stefan, did you, did you catch this? Mike Perry, Mike, you're shitting me. It's been updated since last no, week. Have yes, you, have it has. Have yeah, I'm, I'm not a Mike Perry guy. I don't really go out there seeking oh, Mike Perry. So content. Darren Till, Darren Till got a website made, and it's MikePerryIsABum.com, <laughs> and it's just horrible pictures of what's all, happened to Mike, Mike Perry. Yeah, MikePerryIsABum.com. I gotta check these updates. Yeah, I, I'm literally shocked. I could. It's almost unfathomable to think that Darren Till would take time out of his life to. <laughs> dedicate a website and go to GoDaddy and p- pay the, the fees to to secure that URL. That's one thing, but then to k- keep Yo, the, the website dude, updated is, is insanity. <laughs> dude, there's a whole gallery now? Like, what? What? This is... Man, if they don't book this fight, like, what are we doing? It's beautiful in its simplicity and crudeness. I... Uh, he keeps talking about raw dogging Mike Perry's girl. This is getting uncomfortable. Jesus. <laughs> All right. You got Mike Perry? Yeah. Okay, Mark, who do you got? Uh yeah, I you know, I it's just tough because I, I can either I can pick the smart pick, which is 
uh, betting line wise, apparently the dumb pick, but I was also thinking Mickey Gall. But you know, there's got to be something to that line, and you know, I'm I'm gonna side with Mike. We're gonna make this interesting a two-two split here. Um, I think Mickey Gall has the type of style that could easily beat Mike Perry, someone who can submit him. Uh, what I do like in when I looked back at Mike Perry's record, that win against uh, Brazilian Cowboy, that's pretty impressive. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with the odds here. My heart was going with Mickey Gall, and. I'm surprised, like you guys said, with the the odds here, just don't seem right at all. But I'm gonna go with Mike, I'm gonna go with Mike Perry, uh, and we'll Yo. we'll try to turn around that page for him. Yeah, there, there's a there's a poll on this website now that said who is the biggest bum in the UFC. It's a picture of CM Punk and a picture of Mike Perry, and Mike Perry is winning with almost six thousand votes. Seventy eight percent of the vote. There's five. It says there's five thousand five hundred and fifty five votes casted. Is there promotion on this? How did you even find it? I don't understand. How I, 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 I saw this. I think Ben Folks talked about it. Okay. This, this okay. Is, I like. I like. I'm getting a notice. This website uses cookies. Like Like he's done his homework here, Darren Till. It's I by the books. I love the uh, the, the Photoshop the uh, fight poster where instead of uh, Perry versus Gall, it just says Bum versus Gall. Oh Jesus! I am so easily entertained. There's a Dumb and Dumber Photoshop here with Brendan Shaw for some reason and uh, Mike Perry together. Not that I'm disagreeing. I just don't understand the connection. Anyway, um, there were other fights on this card we wanted to talk about, but we just lost Aspen Ladd. She tore her knee. Sucks for her. Um, she's young though. We'll see her back. Um, it was going to be her versus Sarah McMahon. John Vellante at heavyweight taking on Maurice Green, not the sprinter. Um, Violent Bob Ross, still one of my favorite nicknames in MMA. Luis Pena taking on Kama Worthy. Uh, I thought it said Karma Worthy at first. I thought that was a pretty cool name. And what I'm excited about, Jin Yu Frey, um, former Invicta Atomweight champion, making it to the UFC. Um, so yeah. Happening this Saturday, we're about two weeks away from UFC 251, which is going to be at Fight Fight Island uh, with three title fights. Going to be a sick card. Um, But right now, this is the last card of the UFC Apex before we go to Fight Island, where it is so hot. So fucking hot. Hopefully no one dies. Um, All right. Um, We're going to do stuff we like. And before I get to the like part of it, I'm going to... Talk because you know I'm the wrestling guy on this podcast uh, about the week that pro wrestling has had. Um, Steph, I know you saw some of this. Mike, I don't know if you probably didn't. I don't know how much you hang out on Squared Circle. So um, I think it was last year, maybe two years ago, when the Me Too movement started, um, where women were discussing the some of the abuse they'd received from men. And I remember even back then, Steph, we talked. You and I talked. Like, when is the wrestling? When is the wrestling community going to get hit with this? Um, the answer apparently was last week because the last week has just been story after story after story about abusive behavior from male performers, male promoters, um, referees, everybody, just generally women getting re- women, professional wrestlers getting treated like shit. Um, lots of sexual assault stories, lots of, lots of sexual harassment stories, just a fucked up week. Um, and, you know, you saw some names where you're like, man, I thought this guy wasn't like that. Well, turns out a lot of people are like that. And it was, you know, no industry is exempt from this stuff. So it's just sad to see. And as much as the wrestling industry has gotten better in a lot of regards 
in the last, you know, 20, 30 years. I mean, when we watched wrestling when we were kids, me, Mark, and Steph, um, there was, it was just like, let's have the girls come out wrestling jello type shit. You know, and everybody was on drugs. A lot of people died all the time. A lot of that stuff seems to have gotten better, but still, man, the stuff we read over the past few days has been fucking gross. And seriously, like, guys, we got to be better. Like, men specifically. Like, come on, man. Like, what the fuck? Like, it's not acceptable. You know, as Stefan said it earlier about having, like, uh, you know, you're wrong sometimes. These motherfuckers are wrong, a lot of them. And, uh, you know, admit it. Be better. For love of God. Um, I'm not going to get into I mean, if you guys are interested in reading this more about this, just go to Squared Circle on Reddit and just um, read about one of the 30 stories you read. I don't know if you've been on Twitter um, over the last day or so, but someone else got hit with something that I know is a near and dear to your heart. Uh, Sammy Guevara had some comments from a podcast. Oh, yeah, Sammy Guevara said something. 2016. Yeah, Sammy Guevara. By the way, Mike, Sammy Guevara, this is as bad as what Sammy Guevara said was. That was like the like the most mild one of all this shit. Some of the stuff you read about like 35-year-old wrestlers going after 15-year-old wrestler, uh, female wrestlers in training – like it was fucking disgusting. I haven't I haven't read any of that, but I mean, oh Jesus, yeah. No, you read about the Sammy Guevara one because like he actually he, said he something. Tre- he was trending on Twitter today, and I'm oh, like, Sammy Guevara. Why is he trending? Oh yeah. Well, because people are starting to know who he is now. So yeah, for the love of God, like he he shouldn't have said what he said. But at least fuck, it was just words compared to this other shit that some yeah. of the people did. I don't know, Steph. You heard some of this stuff. You got anything to say besides everybody's got to be better? This is fucking terrible. <laughs> What can I say, man? It's just a lot of shit is happening in our country, in our world right now, and I don't. I, I'm not optimistic about any of it because it's like none of this is new. It all keeps happening. I don't really believe it's ever going to stop happening. <laughs> Fucking people are shitty. What can I say? Yeah. By the way, if you're a NASCAR fan, I mean, if you're one of those NASCAR fans, so I don't believe most of you are racist. But you really like when you're fault. I mean, it's like when we're an MMA fan and you're like, we're not all idiots. And then someone, well, some one of the fans does some really stupid ass shit. God, man, these people out there with Confederate flags. Jesus Christ. Just come on, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, okay. Stuff I actually like. Um, I got a new car. I like it quite a bit. Um, it cost me a bunch of money, but I'm happy. And um, shout out to Lexus for making good cars. I have no complaints. Granted, the car is three days old. So if I had a complaint already, I'd have a lot of issues at this point. If it was three days old, I had issues. But um, yeah, um, and it was Father's Day. Um, so I got to spend that in the backyard in the heat because I can't go in the house, my parents' house. But it was nice to see my folks. So uh, yeah. Wear a mask if you go outside, people. Jesus Christ. Some of you are not listening. That's all I got. I mind this isn't as much stuff I like as me scolding the world and talking about a new car. Stefan, what do you got? <laughs> um guy kinda alluded to earlier is um it was a big weekend. Uh, you know, this is this is Mark's territory too, but uh I'm mentioning it because the first one was arguably my favorite video game of all time, and that is the sequel of Last of Us coming out, Last of Us Two. Um I've stayed away from a lot of the media coverage from it. I know there were a lot of leaks on it and like the reviews are all over the place where critically it's doing really well. But of course there's a lot of that clickbaity fan base split thing, you know, like if anything is love nowadays, everyone has to come out like, Oh no, no one actually loves it. Everyone actually hates it. So I hate that that 
whole toxic fan base thing is hitting this game. I'm not finished with it. Obviously, I think I'm only maybe about a third to maybe halfway through it. Probably not even that far. Um, so far, I really like it. You know, we'll see where the story goes. Um, but the shit is emotional. Like, two hours into this game, I was like, my eyes were like bawling. Like, you know, it's dark shit. It's heavy stuff, but that stuff's real as we constantly learn about the world, right? It's a dark fucking place out there. Um, I absolutely adored the first game. I beat it like three times. Um, so I'm enjoying this journey so far. Um, it's fun. You picked up your uh, car on uh, the weekend. Uh, I picked up my Caltech KSG shotgun, which you might have accidentally heard me rack during this podcast because I wasn't muted. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> look, Jesus Christ! Uh, look, uh, I'm not trying to sound crazy. I'm responsible about it. You get a new toy, you get some snap caps, and that is dummy shells. You gotta learn how to fucking use these things, right? You can't just have a thing and then not know how it operates and then one day expect to use it. I'm but, worried uh, you're referring to it as a toy. <laughs> yeah, that's that was the most scary part. Really? That was the scary part? Step on sitting there with a shirt off in this whole thing? Like it's a sh- fucking... Well, yeah, he's like sh- carrying- shirtless isn't gonna blow my face off the fucking gun toy, Will. He is going for that for that hillbilly look, though. I mean, shirtless, not good. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah poor choice of words but um i'm doing my due diligence with all this thing so i got locks and cases and all these things and as i said dummy shells you just got to learn how this motherfucker works because it is a high learning curve but um yeah you know i know it's it's all guns are always going to be a weird issue in this country but um you i think there's, license, there's a responsible way you do to do it properly it. Yeah. nope exactly handle it accordingly all right guys um mark yeah, what do you want to talk about this week? Yeah, so um, like Steph mentioned, uh, Last of Us Two is the is the big one. You know, um, this year there's a couple big Game of the Year games, and this is the second one after Final Fantasy VII. Um, and like Steph mentioned, there's a lot of prestige going into this. Uh, personally, I, I find Na- Naughty Dog to be top tier developer, if not the best developer in the game, right there up uh, up there with Rockstar. And, and honestly, for a long time, me for me, my three personal favorite developers were Rockstar, Naughty Dog, and Valve. Valve doesn't really make games anymore, except for the Alex VR thing, which I also heard is just fucking fantastic. But yeah, playing through Naughty Dog, uh, playing through The Last of Us 2, um, the shine from Na- Naughty Dog and the amount of painstaking detail and work they put into their games is pretty much unmatched outside of the other developer rockstar like i mentioned before and you know i'm not ignorant to the blood sweat and tears that goes into that i'm not ignorant to the crunch that uh the people at naughty dog had to go through to get this game out on time uh and essentially you know that they did delay it a couple a, a while ago for like three more months and they basically even came out and said like yeah this delay is not to alleviate crunch we're going to just be crunching these whole three months because it just takes that to to get a game of this quality out in this time frame and from what i played so far it's been immaculate i really love it personally like steph said before you know this is a sequel if you played the last of us the first one and you didn't like it you're not going to like this one they're not the game itself is not changing really like how it functions and even a lot of the conversations i'm hearing are like oh you know like what are the big changes like what do they really do to change this one up it's like it's really not it's following the same formula probably because it's extremely successful formula and i've actually um there's a youtube uh series called action button reviews um actionbutton.net was a really popular um video game website back in the day when I, i i guess it's really popular for insiders it was completely out of my radar um tim rogers does uh 
hosts that site. I've mentioned him before. He's the one that did Final Fantasy VII translations. His first review he did for uh, Action Button uh, reviews on YouTube was Final Fantasy VII. And I I point to that because those are extremely in-depth reviews. And I recommend you, and he hasn't done it for Last of Us 2. He just did it for the first Last of Us, and he breaks that game down to a insane level. It's a three-hour review where he's not just talking about his personal feelings, but he's breaking down time spent, how much time you're spending in cutscenes versus exploring versus combat, how much of the game overall is violent versus not. I mean, he really takes it in a scientific method, which I think is fantastic. Um, But just playing it as a fan, I've really been enjoying it. Uh, Like Stefan said, this game is a narrative-based game. You're in it for the story. Um, I think the gameplay is is fun and engaging, but it's not the the motivational factor. What's motivating you really is to not only... to progress in the story, but it's not even just seeing cutscenes because a lot of the story is developed while you're just kind of exploring the environment and the characters that you're interacting with are conversing back and forth and you're getting these little tidbits, not only about their personal relationship, about the characters themselves, but also what's going on in the world and also this really unique thing that these post-apocalyptic games dip into, but this game is able to dip into it even more is this kind of weird nostalgia factor for people that aren't nostalgia for the things that we're nostalgic for and them laying in those kind of little things. So one of the big things this game is like Ellie learns the guitar and in one of the scenes, hopefully stuff you got to it because when we talked before you hadn't gotten to that point, she learns how to play the guitar and she does a cover of take on me. And it's not even that the cover is like fucking fantastic or anything, but it is these performances they give in this game are so captivating and lifelike that i got emotional in that because you can see the bond between these characters and if you've ever been in a relationship where you've been serenaded before it is a weird experience but it is it's very touching and it is very human and it really connects you to another person when someone's singing to you and you feel that in this game and that's what naughty dog has done so well and what has really separated them from the pact is that their performance capture is just unreal um they're able to make these digital characters um, seem more realistic than any other characters in a game. And one of the things that you can kind of point to in this game, there's a couple scenes where characters kiss each other and you go watch Mass Effect and those characters having sex with each other and being intimate. And it is awkward. It is cringeworthy. It doesn't look natural at all. And when they kiss in this game, it looks natural. And everything just, everything goes back to that point of keeping this game grounded and realistic. And it just it's all about immersing you in the character and in the story. And that's something I love in games. And that's why this game resonates with me so much is because they have went to the umpteenth level to make sure that your immersion is not broken, even with weird bullshit details that would not break your immersion anyways. And I'll, I'll leave this at the last thing I'll say about the last of us. And we haven't finished it. And maybe we'll talk next week about how we feel overall, but there's so many little small details. And my favorite one that I mentioned to Steph One of the cool things about this game is you get to upgrade your weapons, very standard in video games, but you go to these workbenches and they have put in so much detail. And especially as someone that I'm not, Stefan knows this, I'm not someone that likes guns in real life, but I love guns, the thought of them and in video games and going to the workbench in this game is a gun nuts dream because when Ellie (laughs) goes, I mean, you can, you can inspect your gun so you can kind of look at it and kind of just do a full view of the gun. When you go to upgrade it, she basically kind of takes it apart. And this is the detail I love the most for her nine millimeter gun. When it's fully loaded, there's a bullet in the chamber. She actually uncocks the chamber. And not only does the bullet fly out and the sound effect is just fucking spot on about like this bullet kind of like 
tinging and hitting the ground and rolling around. But the thing I love, this little detail that they didn't need to put in that no one notices and it, it doesn't help the game at all except for someone like me that notices it and just think like, oh my god, these guys just think about everything. When she loads her clip back in, she's missing a bullet. She's missing the bullet because when she had the full clip in, there was a bullet in the chamber. And when she took the bullet out, it's no longer in the clip. So when you put the clip back in, you're down a bullet. If anything, it seems like it'd be a detractor because it basically just means like, what happened to the bullet I had? You have to reload your gun to have a full clip again. But it's just that that amount of detail thinking about like, okay, how would this gun really realistic be? How does this clip change when I take a bullet out of the chamber and there's only nine bullets in the clip and I reload it, there should be nine bullets in. So it's just that amount of small detail just really blows me away. Um, and I'm excited to see where the actual narrative's leading because it's been kind of stringing me along for a while. And I, I know it's a long game. And from what I heard from people, you know, not everyone's crazy about how it ends, but I'm excited to, to go on that journey and experience it. So, sorry, that was a huge long tirade. Last of Us 2 kind of deserves it. Um, I do want to mention there's some... We're kind of in this next two months of just like weird game announcements happening all the time. There's a cool one happening tomorrow or when you guys are listening to this at 8 a.m. It's Sega Atlas. A lot of like the smaller indie uh, developers are talking about their new games, but big ones hitting this week. Wednesday, there's going to be a new kind of showcase of the new Avengers game, which a lot of people super lukewarm on. I'm really excited for. First one to admit, every, everyone's faces look fucking weird, but I'm kind of past that. So I'm very excited about that. There's also a lot of rumors that there's, there's going to be a new Nintendo Direct on Wednesday, and then Thursday, they're going to be showing some new stuff for Cyberpunk. Um, unfortunately, this last week, Cyberpunk got pushed back two more months. It was supposed to come out in September. Now it's November. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of video game stuff coming, not only in this week, but even in July. There's like Ubisoft is going to be showing stuff. Basically, E3 is gone, but they've spread it out over the course of two months. Um, one last thing I did want to mention, because this, I think, deserves mentioning. Have e any of you guys heard of the comedian uh, Hannah Gadsby? She's an Australian comedian. I've seen the name, but I'm not familiar with her. No. Yeah. She has a couple specials on uh, Netflix, and me and Christine watched them over the weekend. I really enjoyed them. One of them's uh, Nanette, and the other one's Douglas. So, uh, I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but I'm going to give the, the, the big spoiler away. Uh, she is uh, open, openly a lesbian, and she has autism, and Nanette kind of deals with her struggling with her sexuality and mostly because she comes she's australian but she actually comes from tasmanian or tasmania and i guess there was a law until like 97 that you know uh interracial not interracial like same sex like basically being gay was illegal um and how that kind of screwed with her and you know basically she it's very powerful how she talks about how being a lesbian has affected her life and some of the things that she's gone through. Um, and then her second special um, that they just released on Netflix called Douglas that has to do more with her autism and kind of showing how her brain works a little bit differently than anyone else. But, you know, honestly, outside of all of that, it's just fucking good comedy. You know, what, what kind of makes them more than just any other special is there is more of a message being kind of pumped at the end of it, which I actually appreciate. But at the end of it, it is also just a fun comedy special. So I, I definitely recommend those. So yeah, that's all I got. Mike, what do you got this week? Uh, just a quick question. I've never played um, Last of Us, and I've never inquired about it. Is what type of game actually is it? Is it like an action game? Is it's, it an RPG? um yeah. Did, are you familiar with the um, Uncharted series, Mike? Yes. So it's 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 very much a third person action game. Um, so it's got survival horror elements where there's a lot of stealth 
a lot of sneaking around. One of the mechanics is a listening feature. Like, so you kind of get these like silhouettes of where figures are. So whether you're going against humans or you're going against like these in variations of zombies, you can try to sneak past them or you can engage in combat. You know, you start going guns blazing, they react to the noise. Like there's a mechanic where you pick up bottles and bricks and you can throw them to try to create a noise distraction somewhere else to get people to move. So it's a, it's a third person action game in terms of the gameplay elements. But uh, Mark is totally spot on. You play it for the story. You play it for the narrative. Like, one thing I wanted to kind of chime in when Mark was going off on it, this weekend, after I kind of got my first little dive into it a few hours in, I called Mark to talk about it. Like, when's the last time I've done that with anybody, like, about a video game? You know, we might text something. We might just put something in our group chat. But I wanted to talk to Mark. Like, I physically called in an era where no one makes phone calls anymore because last time, I last wanted to time talk we did about that things. Was, we, we, you and me had to talk about Watchmen, I remember. That was the last time any of this happened with us. Like that say, was the and, game, and what did we say about that show, right? One of the greatest seasons in TV history with their one-season thing. Like, every once in a while, you come across something that, like, just seminally affects you. And in the, it's not going to be for everyone, right? You know, some people want more game mechanics. Some people don't like the story. That's right. You know, stories aren't going to be 100% approval rates. But for me, that shit deeply affected me. Yeah. Hey, but, Mike, what, what I would recommend if you're at all interested, um, I think the best hook for this whole series is go on YouTube and watch the opening for the first game. One of the best openings in any video game ever. It is hard to watch that and not be emotionally impacted by some way. And... And honestly, I think it would it, it might it might be enough to encourage you to try the game. I totally encourage you to, especially the first Last of Us is remastered on PS4, and I think it's like twenty bucks, and it's often on sale. It's like ten dollars um, right now because they're running a sale in the store. Yeah, and if anything else, just why if you just want to get a glimpse of like what we're talking about with like capturing these characters and making these scenes feel lifelike, that first scene in The Last of Us One is from 2013. It still holds up fantastically today. Um, so I would definitely recommend checking that out. And if you see that, that might that might convince you to to try it out. But it is a game not for everyone. It is mostly it, it has a loop of you're exploring, finding supplies. Then you have a combat. You basically have a combat encounter that is going to de- deplete your supplies. So then you it's this constant loop of okay, I need to stock up so I'm ready for the next combat encounter. You do the combat encounter. It either goes poorly for you or it goes well, and you're always and even if it's not like oh I want I need to explore just to like find supplies is. You want to explore so you can see more of this world, and you never know what kind of little secrets and tidbits you're going to get. So it is a fantastic game. I totally encourage I will it. also it's say this, Mike, uh, is if you give it a shot, and something I mentioned to Mark, is I, I haven't dug, dug, having not dug into The Last of Us world in the last few years, I forgot that the butt clench factor is through the roof. Like, you, the whole, whole time you're playing, you have, always have this sense of impending dread, whether someone's going to sneak up on you, you're going to get alerted, like... So I, again, it's really fun for me. Um, but Mark is so right. Check out a reaction to the it, first chapter. If I can find it on a on sale on the PSN store for a good price, I'll probably pick it up. But uh, uh, I'm really uh, simplifying this just uh, maybe to annoy you guys. But you just described it as something that includes zombies attacking other humans and having to go on intermittent supply runs. It sounds like you just described The Walking Dead. Oh, yeah, dude. dude. I mean, th- this was like the zombie. I mean, what makes it interesting is they have their own twist on the zombies. It's more of like this fungal thing, but it came out in 2013. You have to remember, like, that's kind of when Walking Dead. I mean, in these these game right. devs, they, they try to hit on these. these. I mean, and what I like, sorry, this will be the last thing. What I like about this one guy's review is his whole review is about, like, this game was made to be game of the year fodder. Like, they made this game to get awards, and he breaks down why. It's like, 
zombies were popular. This was the zeitgeist when they were developing this game. This was what was Oscar bait. This is what won awards for movies, and they try to replicate that in games, and it's hard to deny those facts when he talks... In the PS4 re-release, the thing they have on the top of the box is over 200 Game of the Year awards, and he kind of breaks that down, like, why... First, did it even get that many? How did it get that many? What was it striving to do to kind of make people see this game in that light? So, I totally recommend it. Sorry, we've been talking way too much about this stuff. Go on. Good. I have a very quick uh, stuff I like. Uh, the densest this week. I finally went this morning, and it was very pleasant. Damn, you're in a fucking I adult. I was gonna say I gotta go to the dentist. My my shit got canceled in the middle of all this quarantine stuff. I gotta go get take care of that too. How was it? <laughs> Everybody wearing masks and shit. Uh, they were the dentist was literally wearing uh the whole PPE uh, shebang bang, so nice. I felt very safe. Um, I made a joke when I was walking in, like, hey, so how are you going to work on my teeth with my mask on? Um, she didn't appreciate that joke very much. <laughs> Remember, Mike, every time you make a joke, you're the first person of history of time to have made that joke. <laughs> yeah. Mike's out here working his set at fucking Yuck Yucks while he's at the dentist's office. <laughs> uh, but it was, uh, it was very pleasant, and I spent the rest of my FSA money on a teeth whitening kit, which will come in in two weeks. You spent all your FSA. It's, it's June. You went through the entire FSA budget. Well, I spent about nine hundred uh, last week on like glasses, stuff, and contacts. And okay. um, I have a shit dental insurance from my job, so uh, the extra stuff, um, even not counting the, the the teeth whitening stuff, it costs a little extra for me to go to the dentist. So, yeah, gotcha. Mike, did, do you have bra- Did you ever have braces? I had braces from uh, sixth grade up until eighth, and then I didn't wear my retainer like an idiot, and I had to get clear correct uh, later on in life. Okay, because Mike, I'm going to say, your teeth ain't looking bad. I don't think you need whitening and all that shit. Your smile is cracking. What What is this podcast at this point this week, guys? Hey, you got to <laughs> recognize a good set of teeth. As someone else that also had braces, Bobby, you have to put that shit in your mouth. And I remember when I had a brace, I was like, I'll tell my mom, this shit is not worth it. Fuck my smile. I don't care about crooked teeth. Fuck this shit in my mouth. Cut in my mouth. And you get the brace off like, fuck shit, dude. This actually looks good. This was worth all the pain <laughs> and fucking money you had to pay. What is this? Um, all right, guys. Um, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. There was a lack of a visual component to the podcast this week that apparently we needed. Um, we'll be back next week. Uh, we're going to talk about something. Because it's two weeks till the next... That's two weeks till the next pay-per-view. We're going to so, talk about Last of Us. This is my prediction. Mike's going to have started it. Mark and I are going to be further in the second part. It'll be nice. Yeah. This is a good time to spring it on Mike's uh, stuff that we want to do a Watchmen rewatch. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. Yeah. We're going to talk about that again. Definitely. Um, all right, boys. Um, oh, boys and girls, those of you listening, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, as I mentioned, uh, I was Dr. Law. That was Kid Presentable. That was DJ Mark, and that was Lavender Gooms. See y'all next week. Um, Stay safe, and peace out. See ya.